Matthew chapter 5, verse 19 again. Jesus, after the Beatitudes and a few other things, He begins telling us in the rest of this chapter about the law, the Old Testament as we would call it, the Ten Commandments and the statutes and the statements made in the law, how lives were regulated and how the people were to treat each other. He says this at a time in which we could say that this was a focal point in history. The Old Testament was all about him. Remember in John chapter 5, he says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. He said, Well, they testify of me. So he's all through the Old Testament in the types and the shadows and illustrations. He was the ark, you know, Noah's ark. He's like that. And everybody that comes into Christ becomes new creatures. Lions and lambs lay down together in the ark, and it was covered over on the outside with pitch. Beautiful illustrations throughout the Bible that typify Christ in the Old Testament. And he comes to us in Matthew's Gospel here and begins to say, Now, I didn't come to do away with things you have heard. We're not bound to its regulations anymore, but the message will always be because God's Word is forever settled. And when that was spoken, it was spoken in a time in which there was no New Testament. It was actually spoken in the Old Testament. The Word of God is forever settled. It will never pass away. It is eternally there. It will never go anywhere. So we have to deal with it, and we have to live in light of it. But a lot of people look at the law, and the law really didn't require a lot of emotion or feeling. You could take a sacrifice to the priest on a certain day or for a certain misdemeanor or whatever sin you are dealing with. You could take the animal in there, get the right one, and you can offer it and, and say all the right words, and that's it. But that's not acceptable to God. Jesus comes along and he says, now I'm going to introduce the kingdom to you. There's a kingdom coming, and it's going to be filled with people who will live according to the tenets of that kingdom. For example, he said, you have heard that it was written in the law. And we're looking at some of those things now. And he said, but I say unto you, what you are to understand that was hidden in there but now revealed by Christ to you is a way of life that not many anywhere are willing to accept. And if you want to be on the right side of God and living as He wants you to live, which Christianity is living on His terms. How could you describe it any other way? If we're Christians, it means we live according to what God says. Isn't that right? We don't live according to what seems good because we talked about that Sunday. You know, there's a way that seems right. Everybody likes what man devises, but it's the way of death. The only way that God will ever honor is His way. You have to look at it. You have to make a decision. The choice is yours. Nobody can make it for you. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And you have to live this way. So this is how he comes and approaches these people. He said in verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and teach others so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, he the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So again, it is for us to know that all the legal codes that men could not follow have been set aside as a means of being right with God. Nobody could do that. The way to God is now through Christ, who tells us, as the way and the truth and the life, he says, you have heard that it was been written, like last time, the sixth commandment, thou shall not kill. But then he says, and he makes it personal, and he goes right to the heart with this. But he said, I say unto you that if you are angry with your brother... Verse 22, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of the judgment. And who hasn't been angry at a lot of things a lot of times for a lot of reasons? Some people are angry when they get up in the morning. They're angry when they go to bed. I think they dream angry dreams. <laughs> My dreams are like video games. I mean, there are some of them are, I can't figure them out either. But I know this. When Jesus tells us that we're not to kill, of course, we can deal with killing a lot. But the, really, the word means murder. Because there's a whole lot of people died in the Bible by divine justice. I mean, when the Red Sea opened up and closed up, it wasn't man that did that. When Jericho's walls 
fell down flat and all the inhabitants there were destroyed because of that. Or because when the fire, when they threw fire down from heaven or the earth opened up and swallowed up people, a lot of folks died. But that was always judgment, righteous judgment. Nobody can ever accuse God of being unfair. And Israel, under God, in a theocracy, was commanded to cleanse the land. Men, women, and children, let none remain. And we, don't, we have a hard time with that in the New Testament because we think, well, we're, how can we do that? We don't do that. Jesus comes along and he said, now you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. He said, the problem is anger. That's why people murder. That's a condition that often exists, not always, but that's a condition that often exists for murder. Or as he goes on to finish our verses, it's why people slander people. It's why we call people names. We're mad at people. We don't forgive people. We say we do, but we keep talking about them, which means we haven't. We call people names that we say we've forgiven, but because we keep discussing them in an adverse way, we haven't forgiven them. Well, Jesus equates that kind of anger and that kind of resistance to him and this fueling your feelings about somebody. He said that's what leads to murder. A lot of people don't murder because they can't get by with it. But I wonder how many people, if they really could get by with it, never get caught, would consider it, especially non-Christians. But people can get really angry about a lot of things. And just because you're angry doesn't mean you're, you're going to murder somebody. How many, how many of you are parents? Now, you could thought maybe, but, you know, your children can make you very angry on those kind of days in which ugh, things happen. Traffic, you can get angry in traffic. You can get angry at a ball game. When I coached, I think I stayed angry. And there's a lot of things that can make you mad to where you want to throw something, hit something, curse, stomp your foot. Jesus is talking about that. You can no longer do that in his kingdom. If you want to be in his kingdom, these things have to go because you're not allowed to do it. And then in verse 27 tonight, he deals with the principle of lust. Now, lust is not very common in our society but we'll deal with it anyway. I think lust is as common as pickles on hamburgers. I think lust and adultery, both of them, are as common today and accepted in society. And far too many folks in religious settings accept adultery and lust as a way of life that you cannot escape no matter how hard you try. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, this is the next commandment, number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath, past tense, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I am sure it would also mean for those cases where it's true that if a woman looks on a man to lust after him, she has committed adultery with him in her heart. It would also be true in homosexual societies. They're no different. If, you, if a man looks on a man to lust after him, he's guilty of the same thing. It's not a heterosexual problem. It is a humankind problem. It's lusting sexually after another person, usually and in context here after a man after a woman, or as I said, perhaps a woman after a man. But he said, I say unto you that if you look on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, that's how God sees it. We can't say, well, that's not fair. If that's fair, everybody's guilty. Well, there may be the whole world does lie in darkness. And this is as common as dirt, what I'm talking about, to an adulterous generation that Jesus called it. To an evil and corrupt world that lies in darkness. This is becoming an accepted social way. Who cannot do it? But apparently, you know, whenever the Pharisees read this, they, they taught it that adultery was only an act. Jesus comes along and says, well, there is an act of adultery in which you commit you know, a crime of cohabitating with another woman or another man, and, you, and you're guilty of, a, of adultery if that person is not your wife or single. 
This statement that Jesus made in verse 27 doesn't apply to married people. It applies to all of us. So it doesn't matter if you're married or unmarried. If you do that or you think it, you lust after somebody, it's adultery in your heart according to God. And you'd be surprised how many people are guilty. You probably wouldn't be. That's why a lot of people who think they're good, a lot of people in the world think they're good. If If you just look at the Ten Commandments, just the Ten Commandments, Here's one of them this week. We had one the last time. Who's never been angry with his brother without a cause? Has a white man ever looked at a black man or an oriental at a white man or vice versa and been angry at that person because of something that they read about or something in the past? If somebody of another race dislikes me because of the color of my skin or the, the way I'm looking... they that way because they've been taught that way. And the problem is they've never been forgiven of what somebody told them. They're never forgiven. Somebody told me that L.L. Bean has been boycotted for 60 years by a certain group in our country. They asked the CEO, What's, why are they boycotting you? He said, I have no idea. They interviewed some of these folks. They said, oh, I wouldn't buy anything from L.L. Bean. You think, why is that? Somebody told them not to. You don't know anything. Somebody told you that because of who you are, you should not buy anything from them. You, have no, you don't have a clue what it is. That, but that's America. That's America. A lot of people don't think for themselves. They just follow the social rules and guidelines, and they do what everybody else does and don't always know why we're doing it, but this is what we do. And they're a part of They have the herd instinct. They just follow whatever is popular and whatever is going on. Kids tell their parents when they really want to do something. Well, everybody else is doing it. I see. Well, let's hope you don't. Let's hope that you don't. Because just because the masses are doing something doesn't mean it's right. Just because people are angry or people lust today. Or adultery is, is everywhere accepted. Except by a few. And because it's everywhere rampant, it's becoming accepted. Folks some years ago in my age who had a problem with anything that we see going on today. I I grew up in the 50s, and I look at what is acceptable to people today and how minds have been changed and how ways have given in to filth and lust. And it's hard for me to believe that this could have happened, but it did. Things began to happen that led to this, led to this, led to this, led to this. But they were burning down buildings after I graduated from college in the late 60s. And the end of the Vietnam era and then the Beatles and all this crazy music started coming out. And weird people looked dressing crazy. Just anything to rebel against society. I couldn't believe it. I thought, why don't they put these people in, in jail? I remember the first big protest I remember up at Kent State. You know, they shot six of them. That's the way it was when I grew up. You don't do that. And today, you know, you can do anything you want to. Ask a teacher in a school if students can call them names and use four-letter words or use the F word against them or as a matter of conversation. And you can't stop it. You just get hard or you get easy. You just accept it, turn your head and go on. And that's one of the trends in this last hour. And it's true with adultery. It's true with its lust. We just give in. Well, nobody you know. us. And so we have to look at what Jesus says. And he says, look, I know you said that, Lord. But I cannot, I cannot overcome that. I can't escape this. This is a problem that exists with everybody. I mean, we're all doomed, and that's what he said. You're all guilty because that's what the Ten Commandments does. What man has ever looked upon a woman to lust after her at any point in his life? Who has ever mistreated their parents or spoken evil of their parents, didn't honor their parents? The Pharisees said, well, this is not really a problem in your mind. It's just if you commit adultery, well, you've, it's because you've done it. Well, the Tenth Commandment, that you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that's his. We have no right to wish or desire to have anything that anybody else has. None of us do. Covetousness is a, is a crime against God. And the reason is, it's because God has made provisions for everybody who approaches Him, come to the throne of grace in time of what? 
need. My God shall supply all you. You don't need to look to man. You don't need to look to some earthly source or wish you had what somebody who works hard has. Things are nuts today. Things are somewhat unsettled today. You know, a man gets up early, works hard, makes a good living, makes a lot of money. He worked hard. He made good decisions. And God rewarded him with wealth. And then people who don't want to work near that hard today want to tax these people because they worked hard and supply jobs for the rest of us. It doesn't make sense to me. Maybe it's because I'm not a... Whatever. I'm not affiliated. But there are just a lot of people today that, that, that aren't thinking right. It's like with adultery and lust. I wonder how many people read this. How many people like us? Just good old ordinary people. Homebodies. Read what Jesus said about lust and adultery here. And just say, who doesn't? Well, again, we all do. We all have. Ten Commandments, you nail it on any courthouse wall or anybody's lawn you want to, and all the Ten Commandments does is tell you that you are a sinner and God is holy. That's what it does. There's no provisions. There's not a single provision in the Ten Commandments to be forgiven. It's a statement of what is right and righteous and holy with God. And you look at that and your heart will smite you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, oh, nine, ten. I've broken every one of them. And therefore, it's like Romans 7. The law is what brought us to see the sinfulness of our lives. How exceeding sinful, Romans 7 says, that we really are. And how desperately we need to be forgiven because in a sinful state, we cannot relate to God. Now, the law taught people that. And Jesus came, and you know the rest of the story and what he did to set the people free. But Jesus said we can commit adultery. With our thoughts. Women can commit adultery with their lusty feelings about some boy or some famous figures portraying themselves seductively on the screen. Happens every day. They never admit it, but it's true. Men look on women that are seductively dressed, acting that way, and uh, they're acting that way, so you'll think that way. And when you think that way, you've just snared your soul. You're guilty. You've just become an adulterer. Now, that's how easy it is to sin, but somebody has to tell us this, and we have to keep this going. Remember, Jesus said in Jeremiah 17 and 10, he said, I search the hearts. I try or test the minds. There's no time in your life that God doesn't know the thoughts and the intents of your heart. There's no time you can say, well, I'm looking. I didn't do anything. If you looked with lust, you're guilty. If you couldn't speak, but you could see, you are guilty because he's keeping records. The 44th Psalm and verse 21 says, Shall not God search us out, for he knoweth the secrets of the heart. A certain lady, a certain at work, at school, a youth group, in town, a ball game or something, you see somebody, and the way people dress today, it would be very difficult unless you stay away from those places and avoid the appearance of evil, which is what a lot of designs and clothes are today. They are the appearance of evil because they're, they're made that way to show your body and get people to look at it and lust after it, to break this commandment. And unless you stay away from those places, it's hard today to not lust because everything is just right there in your face. Now, if you want to be a Christian, you can't do that. you got to deal with this. You and I, you have to learn to turn your head, look the other way, or don't even go there. Why would a young man in his, grow, in his uh, coming in years, that's anywhere from 16 to 80, I mean, when he's coming, <laughs> in his young life, in his early 20s and his teens, what happens when he goes to the beach in the summer and it's bathing suits have changed too since I was a kid. And today they don't wear bathing suits. I don't know what those things are called, but they're not bathing suits because they don't bathe in them. They'd be better not. But, I mean, they wouldn't last long. But 
the beach and the stuff that women wear on the beach is not for comfort and bathing in the, in the pool of the ocean. It's to show their body. You're supposed to look at it. And because of the way it's shown and the way it's designed, you're supposed to look at it and think about, wow, what do I want to look at that? Yay. And I guess I don't know what boys wear today that would make anybody think like that. But I won't go there either. But anyway, this, this business about what's in your heart and in your mind, God knows. You can't hide what's in your heart. Remember Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Nobody in this room can say, well, God doesn't see me. They said that in the Old Testament. Well, God doesn't see us do this. And he said, you will be judged. You really will. So let's look at these two words, adultery and lust, and just get a meaning of them first. Adultery is unlawful sex outside of marriage, whether you're married or unmarried. Again, our text says if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you don't have to be married to do that. And you don't have to be unmarried to do that. You can just look and if you think in your heart sexual thoughts and you've committed adultery with that person in your heart. But the word adultery also has a spiritual notation for the kind of lives that people live that God judged them. God often called in, in Leviticus 25, Exodus 34, he called his people adulterers because they had turned from their loyalty to him to worshiping idols and counting on idols and other things to supply their needs or to help them and get them through difficult times. And they turned from God who brought them through the Red Sea and so forth. They turned away from that, and they turned to the idols of the people whose land they took over. And God said, you're an adulterous generation. Adulterous means, as he says in other places, you've gone a-whoring after other gods you on every high place. And he speaks to that. Hosea 12 speaks about, about such a thing. The Bible is full of that to remind us that any time your loyalty is not with the Lord, to the Lord, solely with the Lord, but you're looking to something else in your life to hold on to, hang on to, it said you can commit, in that sense, adultery, spiritual adultery, because you have been espoused. Is that still in the Bible? We have been espoused to one, the Lord that we belong to him. He purchased us. We are to be his bride. Doesn't it say that? That we are to be a pure and chaste virgin, not allowing ourselves to look to any other source that he's coming back for his bride. We're only engaged right now. Make sure you hang on. This is what he's talking about, about adultery. And one definition I found i tell you something about definitions. One of the things in my skillful use of the Internet, <laughs> I don't want to be a Google head, but I have found that you can go to Google and get a de dictionaries there are wonderful. I mean, you can find whatever you want. Just make sure the words you type in that you want defined. To make sure you're accurate, you want, like I typed in the word whore or whoremonger. And you want to get away from the, what they offer you there as quick as you can. thought, my God, well, I should have known better, but I'm an early Google head, so I didn't really get all of that. <laughs> Semi-Google. But one of the definitions of the word adultery that I found of the many, many, I mean many words, I mean many sources, one of them said the word adultery comes from a French word which means to corrupt. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Adultery is a corruption of a commitment. You made a commitment. Now you have fouled it up with a choice you made or a decision you made or something you did, and you have corrupted yourself. You become an adulterer. Turn to 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. See if I can point this out with a word in the New Testament about adultery. It's not the word used here, but I'll show you how it works. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 3 said, But desire the sincere milk of the word. Does the Bible say that somewhere in there? To desire the sincere milk of the word that you may, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The word sincere, 
The word sincere is the word adolos, A-D-O-L-O-S. Now, as you know, A before a word makes it just the opposite. It, it makes it negative, whatever it is. And this word adolos means adulterated. It's no longer pure. Desire the sincere, unadulterated, pure milk of the word. Because if you mix something with the word, let me go back to Sunday morning for just a moment. If you mix man's interpretation with the word, the word is no longer sincere. It has been to some degree corrupted. And that's what adultery means. It has been corrupted. Oh, I didn't run around my wife. I didn't do anything about it. Well, you, but you were, you were thinking hard about it. You were looking for a way to do it. And you had a lot of thoughts about it, a lot of pillow talk, a lot of stuff, a lot of flirtatious going on. A lot of that look, you know, you try to think is cool. You're guilty. All the time you're doing that, all the time you're flirting with that boy to try to make him look at you in a wrong way, you're sitting. Now, that's not acceptable in today's society. I think a lot of people would disagree with that, but that is the way it is. Look at chapter 5 here. Look at verse 32. Whosoever should put away his wife... And marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. That's a corruption of the way God wants it. So think of the word adultery as not only an unlawful sexual encounter with the opposite sex, but also as something which corrupts you. Remember the Bible tells us to, to not be like the world with its spots and blemishes. Remember that? that we are to come at the end of our life without spot or blemish or any such thing, that pure religion undefiled is to visit the widows and the fathers in their affliction and keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's the way we're supposed to live. We're tempted like anybody else. The same stuff that looks at the world looks at us. The world doesn't look away. We do look away. And as far as I'm concerned... If it's going to be like that where you want to go, don't go there. Why do you want to go and do that? It might be something in your heart that says, well, I want to be out there. Maybe you don't need to be out there. Maybe it's not necessary for you to be out there. I think the Bible, doesn't the Bible say somewhere, somebody help me shun, avoid, shun, or avoid the, um, the appearance of evil. Does it say that somewhere? Let me ask you all a question. Because y'all like to work crossword puzzles and deal with questions. If you're to avoid the appearance of evil and shun the appearance of evil, would you say then that the way some people dress today is evil? All these older voices are amen. What about this young crowd today? Is there such a thing as evil dress? Dressing with evil intents? Dressing with evil desires. There's a lot of insecure young ladies today trying their best to get looked at and, and lusted after. If it takes that, that's okay. At least they're getting attention and not realizing you're corrupting yourself. You're driving yourself away from God to entertain your own emotions and your own feelings. You love yourself more than you love God. If you love God, you crucify the flesh with its affections and its lust thereof. So adultery is a, is a strong word, and the word lust is simply a, a desire to satisfy the senses. It's just what you do. It's what you want to do. It's you lust after drink. You lust after drugs. You lust after women. You lust after men. Uh, you lust after food. Does that happen? It's a desire that you have, a driving desire to have and to get and to obtain. Lust. It's what ruins a lot of people's lives. And in the text, when it talks about sexual desire, it means that, at least for all men, you're guilty. There is not, as far as I can discern in my own experience, and maybe I'm judging everybody else by my own life, but I think a lot of men look at a lot of women, not once, not twice, but often, and the thought in their mind is, wouldn't that be something? And then they think other thoughts with that. Sometimes you look 
And not all looking at women is lust. It's the devil that puts the thoughts in your mind. It's you that keeps them there. See, a bird may fly through your mind, but you don't have to let him nest there. A bird may fly through your mind. He doesn't, he doesn't have to nest there. You've got to shoo him off. So again, we're all faced the same kind of stuff. I don't go to a lot of places where this kind of stuff goes on. I don't go all the hangouts and where all the cool people go because when there's cool, there's danger. And what are we supposed to do? Just stay home and keep ourselves covered up in a closet? <laughs> Let me think about that one for a minute. The Bible does speak of a closet, doesn't it? I'm just saying that sin, your sin, will find you out. You will become very dull spiritually. You'll find yourself not paying attention, not getting anything out of it. You're beginning to fall prey to your feelings and then everything else. What does the eye look at today? Because he'll go on here in a minute and talk about the eye and the hand, about plucking them out and cutting them off. What does your eye see today? Give me a few minutes here to talk about social filth. Again, I was born at a time in which, you know, back in the dark ages, flat tops, crew cuts. Today they don't even cut their hair. They don't even shave, they don't comb their hair or nothing or shine their shoes. Now, I lived back when you did all that. But anyway... One of the statistics that I have in my files, this was a few years ago, was that 95%, this, I'm telling you why we come to this lusting thing and do it so casually and without much regard for sin, 95% of all intimacy and romantic scenes displayed today in books, movies, TV, are between unmarried people. All the romantic encounters and all the touching and grabbing and more, whatever your lust is to look and see and watch, it's between people who aren't married. And that means it is unlawful. Even what you're watching, the getting to that point is an unlawful thing. You're watching sin. You're partaking of it with your, with your eyes. You're giving it amount of dignity in your life, but looking at it. You don't realize, some of you young men probably don't realize how hard it is for you to turn your head. You probably don't know that a man who's addicted to a TV set and can't leave it alone can't walk away from it. He can't. He can't unplug it. Even if he knows that he's been ruled by it, he can't get away from it. No wonder Jesus speaks so firmly about crucifying the flesh with its affections and its lusts. Because anything that takes the place of Jesus in your affections becomes an idol. And that's what you want. And you covet after that. You just committed spiritual adultery because you lust after these kind of things. But in TV and books, all of this kissing and hugging and groping and moaning and all of that, you check it out. It's between unmarried people. America wouldn't get much satisfaction out of two married people look acting like that because after they've been married a while, that's not as common as it is amongst unmarried people. It's not that it gets old hat. It's just that, you know, there's a lot to marriage that goes beyond just that. But if you're unhappily married, people like that excitement. Or if your marriage is lacking some kind of pop, you like to look and see, ooh, boy, wouldn't that be good? And therefore, women... The Bible speaks of silly women laden with divers' lust. And these are the kind of women that corrupt their children and corrupt those about them. They start telling tales. They want to get together and go and watch. And do. it's part of the whole picture of sin and how easy it is to sin today in this area. Movies. How corrupt today are movies with regard to adultery and suggestive ideas? Just the way they're dressed. You never see a, a Hollywood star who's out of weight and ugly. It's always somebody who is works out in the gym 15 hours a day and is painted pretty and all that and has had a breast implant and two or three other little things so they can be lusty looking. And the stars are supposed to engage in all that kind of talk and look and lust. It's supposed to excite your passions. The idea behind this from the devil is for you to put yourself 
in the place of that man and wish or covet his place and wish I was, oh, boy, wow, look at this. And everything in you naturally wants to go, whoo, about this. I don't think everybody has a problem, but there's enough of it that what I'm saying is true. But the TV knows that if you want ratings to soar, talk, talk ugly, use a lot of cuss words, and keep it unclean. Dancing with the stars. That's not two-step dancing. I mean, that's supposed to be pretty racy out there. I, I don't watch it. I saw one little clip of it, and I said, that's enough. Because the, the women don't wear much, and they're not supposed to, because that's what people are watching it for. Men wouldn't be assembled at the beach if the women on the beach covered themselves up. But when they don't cover themselves up today with the idea of, look at me, big boy, wouldn't you? don't you think I'd be? And the thoughts that God hears. They're recorded in heaven. If you never repent one day, when your sin will find you out, you'll see it played back in heaven. And you'll fall on your knees and you'll weep and cry out because of shame of our lives. You can stop it all right now tonight. Or you can think, oh, God doesn't care because somebody told you that, well, you know, you can't just not do that. I mean, you're a normal person and this is the way it is in life. And, you, you mean, I mean, everybody does it. That's man's way. The disregard of God, you just you give liberty to people to do those things, and you know what? They're headed for the for the death chamber. TV. Commercials. What about commercials? Could you sell anything without a girl? Without a lovely lady? Some of these women are beautiful, I think. I think, you know, just they have a exceptional face, but they're ruining their lives. If for money they'll do anything. They'll sell their bodies, sell Sell the contract to Playboy, I guess, if you give them enough money because, you know, there's no hose barred. There's no guilt anymore. There's no definitions in this world. How would you define modest to Hollywood? What's modest? Half a leg or the whole leg? I mean, how would you define it? How would Hollywood define the word whore? I know it's a bad word. I know that. Whoremongers. Men are just as, just as bad. How do you define that? What is the definition of those things? They don't want to know. What's the definition of sin? How would Hollywood define sin? They don't. They have no definitions. If we can get rid of God, if we can get rid of the Bible, if we can get rid of the Ten Commandments and, and, and God, anything to do with God, if we can get rid of the... The fact of God, we won't have to deal with our conscience and guilt because God has made man to know of his guilt. And there comes a time, there comes a time in a lot of people's lives that God gives them over to an unclean spirit to do those things that are wrong. You're done then. They have no conscience. Their conscience has been seared. They have no adversity to doing what they're doing, to being raunchy and unclean, watching uncleanness, talking uncleanness, doing uncleanness. Look at magazines. One of the men's sports, well, sports magazine. I can't mention the name of it, but it's uh, they have a swimsuit edition every year. And the swimsuit edition, again, is uh, pretty racy. Now, see, when I say it's pretty racy, they would say, well, you're just getting old. I say, yes, but I'm not blind. And when you start exposing your backsides and as much of your front side as you can, and you start having operations to make the upstairs more whoo like that, you have just contributed to the sin of the hour. And God will hold you as guilty as the one who did the looking. Because if you hadn't have been there acting like that, exposing yourself that way, you wouldn't have had anything to look at. And again, I don't think you have to wear a bathing suit for a man to lust after a woman. In the Old Testament, they wore robes. I don't know, you know, it just had to be their imagination, I suppose. But it's a demon either way you look at it. It's just what the devil leads his people or leads people to do. Women like the idea today of not you. But women, a lot of them in the 
social circles and the outdoor where they're being looked at and popular and racy looking. They like the idea of being labeled as smoking hot. What does that mean? Don't everybody stand up and shout me down. What is smoking hot supposed to tell me? You know, being the white hair and the older 50s generation. What, what is smoking hot? Does that mean you're available for an encounter? That's what it used to mean back in the, the old days. Or does it mean you look so good that everybody wishes they could spend the night with you? Is that smoking hot? What's the first time in years everything is just looking straight ahead and everybody's nervous or something? <laughs> smoking hot. Do you know that some stores make their living and sell their products just making you young ladies dress like that? I could name two of them, but I don't think I'm supposed to. But uh, one of them is sort of like Alan and Mitch. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, there's some Alan, I don't know. But anyway, you drive by the storefront. Or you're walking down the sidewalk, and here's these clothes. Now, these clothes are nasty. They're nasty. The jeans are designed so that you have to have a ladder. you got to jump in them so you, and you can get them on. You know why they're tight? So your body will show. You know why they don't like to have a panty line today? So it'll look like you have nothing on at all. I'm just trying to tell you like it is. Then there's an ad in the, one of the magazines. The lady, the very nice-looking lady, it's a shame all this goes to waste. She said, my men either wear this or they wear nothing at all. You ever read that? Don't move your head. You'd be guilty. Yeah, my men wear such and such a brand or they wear nothing at all. Or maybe it's shaving lotion. I don't know. My men? What does my men mean? Let me see how dense I am. What does my men mean? My men. Uh, not my man, like I'm her man. But it's, I'm unmarried, I'm my man. You mean you got more than one or got a bunch? No, I'm a reader. I, I look at this. What am I supposed to think? Well, maybe I shouldn't either. Or, are you all laughing? I'm not because this, this is happening while I'm talking here. And you know it is. Or you can do what I did. I drove by that store in a certain strip mall out that way. And I said, I think I said to Bonnie, I refuse to look at that store. Because not far from that store was this, was this other store. It's kind of like, like an airplane. A plastic airplane, you know, and the clothes are horrible. In my opinion. And the worst that I will not look at is uh, Victory's, Victory's Hidden Message store. <laughs> Let me ask you something about the lingerie store like that with all the costumes. Uh, what are you supposed to think? You tell me. Don't tell me. But what are these kind of designs supposed to cause you to do? See, I'm not trying to make jokes. I'm, I'm telling you, folks, this is a serious affair because this is leading people down a way. They're giving up their religion. They can no longer concentrate in church. They can't even give thought to it because they're buying this racy, ignorant stuff because they want to be lusted after or they want to lust. And Jesus said, he said, if you do that, you commit adultery. And, I'll, and there's a grave crime for adultery in the Bible. It's called judgment. See, I point this out. I want you to know what I'm talking about tonight. I mean, I've, I've thought about a lot of things. Just telephone numbers. How about the 900 number? One night by mistake on my phone, I dialed. I thought it was 800 or something, or it was one of these callbacks. And I dialed back, and hello, darling. I thought, oh. <laughs> Somebody, I'm old enough to be her daddy or her granddaddy, I'm sure, as he called me darling. It was a seductive thing. It's supposed to entice you to think sexually, to get stimulated and stirred up and start thinking that way. 
It's a weakness in mankind. One of the grave weaknesses of man, whether it was Sodom and Gomorrah or in some of the tents of Israel with the Moabite women, it's lust. It's a desire to score. Too many young ladies that are so insecure, trying their best to dress like everybody to get all that kind of stuff. And if you got a computer today, like I do, I told you about the Googling, uh, you can find, they tell me, you can find by just typing a certain keyword, you can, you can watch the whole show X-rated right on your computer screen. No holes barred, no shame, no mod. It's all exposed, a sin as old as time. While you know what all of that is, people watch it all the time. And a spirit, an unclean spirit, the New Testament describes a spirit that comes into people. And they can't leave it alone. They can't stop thinking about it. They can't leave the buttons on the computer and they're driven to this thing because it's a demon. Can you imagine sitting in here tonight and the force in your life is a demon? See, how can that be? Well, the devil entered into Judas, didn't he? John 13, the devil entered into Judas. He into him, in him, and drove him to suicide. Happens all the time. The devil is lurking about. I think the Bible says something about the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And the easiest way to devour a generation is to take their clothes off. Let them look at something and let the hormones begin to chug while the rest of us go, oh, that's awful. And so you are just old and out of it. We're going to heaven. If you don't learn to turn your head, all of you here or out there in the world, if you don't learn to turn your head or renounce that kind of stuff, it'll whip you. How about dating services today? Dating services aren't sponsored by somebody's Sunday school class. It's what you think it is. Escort services. You have it everywhere. Have the singles club. What's a singles club? Well, I'm sure not everybody that goes to a singles club goes there with the idea of committing adultery. But I, I imagine a lot of people do. What about clothing styles that do draw attention to your body? What about men walking around today? with their pants down all the way to their behind, showing their shorts and their belt unbuckled. What, what's that supposed to mean? Goofiness? It is goofy. Capital G, goofy. Capital I, ignorant. Capital D, dumb. But it's a generation that finds pleasure in lust. A generation that told them to turn their backs on the, on the Lord. And they're looking for something all the time new and exciting because an evil and adulterous generation does. It's the hour we're in more than any other hour in history. Any time in history. Never a time from Sodom and Gomorrah on has it get, is it getting as bad as it is now. Divorce rates, abandoned children, affairs, infidelity. Even in the church, in the church walls, it proves to me, it, it, a long time ago, I, I became aware of the fact that just because you're in here tonight doesn't mean that you're going to live this life. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted. Things are going to be put in your path, to, and God will give you a chance to make a good decision. Or something's going to pass by in front of you and give you a chance to look twice. It's suggestions when you see that. That particular boy or that girl that looks so cool. Ooh, wouldn't I love to get... You're going to get a chance to think like that because the devil will put those thoughts in your mind. Well, why should you avoid all this? You're young and you're pretty and you're vibrant. And why would you give up all this? Because I want to go to heaven. I don't need that. I don't need to look at pornography. You don't either. I don't need that. Because that's a corruption. It is a corruption because, again, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, what happens? You committed adultery. Doesn't your Bible say that? What about music? Does music have any kind of an influence on uncleanness? 
I've only heard what people have typed out and preachers preaching about music today as some of the lyrics. I cannot believe that men can sing those kind of words and be acceptable any more than teachers can let students curse them in a classroom. There was a time, if you talk without raising your hand, you got in trouble. You go out in the hallway and get a whipping. And kids today say, oh, that's a dumb... No, I didn't either. They learned something. You all haven't yet. At least about modesty and morality, decency and respect and honor for adults. You take a kid in the third grade that can curse the third grade teacher, his parents, her parents taught them that. They watched the same filth on TV as mom and dad did, and the same demon that came into mom and dad comes into that child, and nobody can control it. And if you discipline that child because of its vulgarity, their parents will come and have you dealt with because, well, nobody has a right to tell my kid what they can or can't do. I don't know what school teachers do today. I don't know how they handle this or what they go through through all this, but I know the educational system has been flooded with sex education, teaching kids how to how to use certain things to and call it safe sex and how to avoid certain kinds of I cannot I cannot even on my good moments envision something like that going on. Of course, mine are grown now, but I think I would go to that school and take my kids out of there immediately and homeschool them. I don't want another person who has corrupt themselves corrupting my children. I don't. If you think you can just pray over them and, and it won't work, it might. Depends on how you relate to your children as to what they can turn their head and their eyes away from. But it's terrible. But again, not all looking is lusting. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, a pretty face. You don't look at somebody with a pretty face and go, ugh. Any more than a handsome young, young man is pleasant for women to look at. They don't have to lust after him. You know, Bonnie and I get 30, 32 catalogs a month. We ordered something somewhere in the past, and every catalog in America, we got seven or eight in one day. And I had to, you know, going through there, the, I've looked at some of those women. They're absolutely beautiful. And I've stopped and looked, and I thought, now there, I tell Bonnie, now there is a beautiful woman. Not as pretty as her, of course, but, but you know, there's a beautiful woman. Or she might, she doesn't, but she could say, well, there's a good-looking man. Now, how about that? <laughs> I'm just saying that if looking at somebody who has a lovely face, or a good demeanor, or is attractive in some way, doesn't mean you're lusting after them. Some people just are gifted with a natural beauty. You don't have to keep staring at them. But you just look and say, now, now, there's a good-looking lady. There's a nice-looking man. But, you know, again, you don't have to keep looking at all that because some of them, I don't care how, like Lady Gag Gag, you, there's no way... <laughs> You could you could look at somebody like like that and and, and lust after her, I couldn't. I've never met Lady Gag Gag, but I I probably could gag. You go back to Matthew five verse twenty nine. If thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee for it is profitable for, for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. I want to read also in Matthew chapter 18, verses 7 through 9. Woe unto the world because of offenses, but it needs be that offenses come. But woe unto that man by whom the offense cometh. Now remember the word offense and offenses. Jesus is speaking. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. That's the judgment. In verse 9, And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Now, let me ask you a question. The word offense 
is the word scandal, scandalazo. And it means to give offense. That's what it means. It just means to be offensive. How many times have people committed an offense with their eye? Would looking at a woman to lust after her be an offense? It would be. And you, you've just committed an offense, and you are wrong, and you are guilty. Again, the word means to trip up, to stumble, or entice to sin. That's what scandalazo means. Now, would it help me then if my eye, see looking at a woman, watching a wrong kind of stuff, which one of my eyes would I, would I get in here and, and, and get out so I wouldn't look no more? Let me see I get my pocket knife out here and get this thing out. Let me ask you something. Does my eyeball have a brain? Does it have a mind of its own? Well, what does it do? My eye, my appendages, my hands and feet, everything about my body, everything about me is a servant to my mind. Only way I could avoid looking at sin or using my hands in, in sin is to pluck my brain out. Because my brain sends signals to my hand to do this or to scratch the other hand. What if my hands were independent? What if they had their own mind? You'd be asleep at night and one hand be trying to beat the other hand up. <laughs> scratch my nose. I scratched it last time. You scratched it. No, you scratched My hands are simply what the signal is sent to. My eyes are nothing more than, than eye gates. It, they are directed as the brain directs them to something. The mind then goes into play with what you see. You see the well-watered plains or the gold and silver in Jericho where Achan stole that gold. You see things and then you think things. You see things and you think things. You see things or you engage in things and then you think things. And as a man thinketh, so is he. So I do not believe that if you if you gouge your eye out, one of them, it might be you might get the wrong one. Because actually they're both looking at the same thing. But the point is, there's a spiritual point here. It's like Jesus talking about being born again. He's not talking about you literally going back inside your mother if, he, if she's even alive and being born out again. But it means a restart, a brand new beginning. Where you are, the age you are, and so forth. Well, here he's talking about... The thing that gets you in trouble is what you see. And you're going to have to deal with it. Plucking it out and blinding yourself isn't going to change yet. One of the greatest theologians in history, Origen of Alexandria, in the first, oh, from one-something to two-something, Origen's soul was taken by this verse that he had himself castrated, like eunuchs, so that he would never have this desire to sin against God in this way. Now, I don't suggest, in fact, one of the councils ruled out mutilation. That's not the way, that's not what God is talking about. You have to deal with sins. You've got a thing called mortifying. Turn to Romans 8. You've got a thing called mortifying. Mortifying your sins. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. Romans 8, 13. For if you live after the flesh, he said, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds, the activities of the flesh, you shall live. You can't put your hand to death because your hand, again, is nothing more than a signal receiver. It responds to your mind, to your intellect, to your soul, your, to, your, to your brain. And, and that's all it does. And by stop doing what you're doing, quit looking at what you're doing, you're going to have to recognize you got the problem, you've been guilty, and you got to take yourself to the cross and make some really big decisions. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is the end of this. Let me show you how to do it. Turn to Job 31. Job 31 and verse 1, Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. This older man was able to say, I have made a covenant with my eyes. 
Who is I? Let's learn something here tonight. Who, when he said, I have made a covenant, who is I? Job. What in Job is I? Well, the way he thinks, the way he operates. This is his psyche, you call it. Or the Greek word is soul. This is who he is. This is how he functions. He said, I made a decision. I used my will. I made a decision to tell myself, I will not look upon a maid. I will not look upon a maid to lust after her. Because he goes on to say, why should I think upon a maid? If I've made a covenant with my eyes, why would I look anymore? If you saw a lady, some of you men, if you saw a lady shantily clad and you know you've had a lust problem most of your life and God convicts you, do you think you could turn your eyes away? You think you could? Well, I would certainly hope that you can because God won't make you turn your eyes away. He says, don't do it. Make a covenant with your eyes. If there's any woman, girl around me who is wrongly dressed and an enticement to unclean thoughts, I will not look at her. If I'm going to witness her, I'll look her right in the eye and I'll talk to her. But I will not give in to the spirit that's behind this kind of practice. And you read down in verses 7 and verse 9, he sort of reemphasizes that in the Hebrew. And in closing, turn to Colossians 3 and verse 5. Mortify, therefore, that is put to death, your members. That's like cutting them off, in other words. Like not allowing them to engage in wrong behavior. Wrong things, touching your feet going or your eyes looking and thinking and pondering. He said, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Then he mentions things that happen through the eye gate and the hand gate. He said fornication. Notice the sexual nature of all this. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon whom? The children of disobedience. What is disobedience? It is being unwilling to obey. God says, don't do this, and you say, I will not do that. Obey my voice. And what did God say? I will be your God. Let me say this to you, and I'll close. All of this trash that's going on amongst Christians in churches and out of churches, God is not their God. I really don't care how that sounds or how people take that. God's people don't look like that, don't dress like that, and don't act like that. Now, we're all vulnerable, and we're all human, and we're all growing. But when you continuously live in a wrong way, and you dismiss yourself with logic and reason, well, I mean, after all, who's perfect? I can't, you know, when you start doing that, God is not your God. He said, obey my voice and... I will be your God. Has God given us something that's too hard to obey? Let me ask you one more time. Is the Word of God hard and over your head where you cannot do it? See, in the Old Testament, it was easy. Just don't commit the act. Jesus said, let me tell you something. The act is usually the result of the thought. And I tell you that if you think this way, you're going to be in the judgment. That's just the way it is. Now, you need to mortify all the deeds of your flesh, everything in you that is involved. You need to crucify this stuff. Take it to the cross. Nail it to the cross. Make a covenant with God. And say, I will not do that anymore. A story, and I'll close. A famous, somewhat famous preacher on the radio told a story one day of a problem that he had growing up. He was a preacher. He said, I was going to conferences, ministry meetings, pastoring a very large church, more than, it's bigger than this one. And by, we're a Sunday school class here compared to what they had. But he said he had a problem with pornography. He never told anybody about it because he was too important, too big. There's nobody he could talk to and share his problem. And he said that he would, even in airports, he would go to the magazine stand. He'd see that 
racy stuff there. And then he would, somebody would pick up the magazine and look through there and said he would look over there and watch as they were looking. He said he knew he had a problem. He was driven into this. The shame that we experience so often about our mistakes and failures. I pray for your grace to increase itself in its measure to us. That we learn to say no to the devil and all of his enticements. That we turn away our ears and our eyes from everything that is wrong. That no longer will our feet take us to places where we should not go, but we'll crucify our flesh and our urges. I pray in the name of Jesus that we might escape all these things that you must judge. That we might be found clean in your eyes so that we can ascend to your hill, Lord, having clean hands and a pure heart. I pray you would grant us to have power to overcome in this church. I pray especially tonight for our young people who perhaps are tempted the most. I ask you to make them strong. Make them to realize that they have been bought with a price and they are here for a reason and you have a purpose in their life and what's just ahead of them. But they have to be clean. I pray you would bless every single one of them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.